0: It's been months since my Route 66 journey ended, and when asked to name highlights, I often struggle because compiling a greatest hits list seems an unfair exercise. But when I look back on the places I got to see, there are some that stick out in my memory for the fact the owners running them have a way of inviting visitors to step inside their worlds. And today I take pleasure in introducing you to three such people in different states at very different sites, who, on the surface, share little in common, but whose openness is unique. I'm Evan Stern, and this is Vanishing Postcards. Before we get started, if you've been enjoying Vanishing Postcards, I think you'll love the charm of Southern sisters Lainey and Laura Beth of the Steel Magnolias podcast. Each week, these Nashville natives educate, entertain, and enlighten listeners about the delights, traditions, and quirky aspects of all things Southern. I've heard them debate dry and sauced ribs, expound on Greek influence in Birmingham, and as a Texan particularly enjoyed a recent piece they did on cowboy culture. Like sharing a glass of sweet tea with an old friend, you'll feel like you're sitting right there at the kitchen table with this delightful pair as they dive into a new facet of Southern culture each episode. So pull up a chair, find Steel Magnolias on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and tell Laney and Laura Beth I say hi. Now, let's get back to Route 66. You're the ticks on Route
1: 66, I tell you for sure. Yeah, I'm not one of the dadgum historians, patsies, dreamers, and wannabe on Route 66. I'm the real
0: deal. (laughs) leaving Oklahoma just six miles before Texas you'll pass through the small dusty town of Eric a quiet community of 840 driving in a sign announces it as the home of country music hall of famer Roger Miller yet when asked about Eric a while back it said Miller jokingly retorted where's that before adding it's near extinction And while Eric has managed to hang on, surveying the empty storefronts and crumbling awnings lining downtown's two blocks, I gather not much has changed in the decades since Miller's passing. But turning on south Shelby Woolley Avenue, I find life in the Sandhills' curiosity shop, housed in what had been the old meat market. Its red-brick façade, sides, and porch are covered with a barrage of vintage tin signs advertising the likes of Coca-Cola, Texaco, and Fisk Tires. A placard outside says, Open, but the door is locked. Then, after a few knocks, the screen flings open, and I find myself face-to-face with this town's living legend.
1: Yeah, did, uh, did they tell you that I was the meanest, biggest bastard Motherfucker on route sixty six and everybody's favorite stop did they do that? <laughs> tell me all about it. What did they say about me?
0: Well, they said I couldn't prepare for you that's what that's I, what they you told couldn't
1: me. I tell you for sure, man you're going to have to change your underwear by the time I get done with you. <laughs> A lot of people come over here to see the Grand Canyon. Would you believe that I I top the Grand Canyon? I can tell you that right now. Yeah, these son of a bitches come in here and tell me I'm their favorite
0: stop all the time. That's Harley Russell, an overall clad rhythm guitarist with a Rip Van Winkle beard and long gray hair. Having sized me up, he waves me in with a flash of his jagged, smoke-stained grin. Immediately, I'm surrounded by even more signs, world flags, a collection of guitars, shelves, and display cases exploding with an avalanche of nonsensical memorabilia. Without much introduction, and before having time to comment, he flips on an amp and treats me to an impromptu jam session, before taking a puff off a bong and informing me of this town's other title.
1: Oh, Eric, Oklahoma! is uh, the redneck capital of the world. Uh, uh, and I've got it all sewed up. Yeah, this is where you can come and see rednecks work and play in their own environment. I call it insanity at its finest. And, uh, you know, you might know you're a redneck if you can uh, pick your nose and smell under your armpit at the same time. And if you can stick your finger up your ass while you're doing it, you might know you're a pervert as well. <laughs> In this town, me and my wife both have been shot at, turned into every agency that would get you closed down, shut down, in trouble, out of town. 365 days of internet bullying 24-7, vandalism and the whole nine yards. So that's a long story. I'm probably the most hated person in, in this town by the locals.
0: But I guess, though, if, uh, but what keeps you here in Eric? If well, then... I
1: make a good living here, and I was born here in 1945. And uh, I, make a, I make a good living here. I've, I've wor- I went to work for myself when I was 12 years old, and I've never worked for anybody in my life.
0: In other words, I'm a genius. Harley might not have worked for anyone else, but he tells me he certainly worked with plenty of others.
1: Oh, I played with so many people you wouldn't ever even begin to know them. And the people that I've uh, worked for and played with that were uh, notable uh, are all dead. Uh, You probably never heard of them. They were probably dead before you were born. Charlie Pride was one of them. Uh, Dale Reeves was another one. Dottie West was another one. There's a gob of them. But I, I, uh, I didn't like working... For them because uh, they uh, they didn't want me to drink or smoke weed on the bandstand and uh, I couldn't make out with any of the married women as well. Uh, I had I had to stay uh, uh, you know keep everything real close to the cuff. So I started I started having a good time and and, and went went into the honky tonks where I could really have a good time and uh, and I've got about as close as I can get to it right here in this joint. I do use that word loosely. Uh, You don't mind if I smoke weed, do you, while I'm doing this interview?
0: This joint he's referencing is, again, the Sandhills Curiosity Shop. And what makes it especially curious is that not a single item surrounding us is available for purchase. But um, you call it a shop, but nothing is
1: for sale. Not a thing is for sale. This is a set. How do you you make your living here in Arizona? Well, uh, people just come in to visit with, with me. I had, a guy, I got, I had I, I have people come in here that walk around for five minutes and throw a $100 bill in my tip jar. So I don't, I, I don't need to sell anything. I've got, a, I've got an actual program that, that I can do if I want to. I usually do it for tour groups. And if people drop enough money in my tip jars, I'll uh, do something with my guitar. They're, I'm not your standard uh, postcard stop
0: nothing about harley or his world is standard and i trust he'd bristle if anyone were to compare this space to a museum no all the bric-a-brac in this overstuffed emporium he repeatedly tells me is his set which provides a backdrop for the antics he performs through what he's titled his mediocre music makers program and he says that everything i see and experience here is the result of a vision he shared with his beloved soulmate and fourth wife annabelle whose pictures he readily shares with me
1: we uh, barely were able to survive for like 14 years. We did have a lot of love, and the Puckett's Grocery Store threw away a lot of good groceries in the dumpster, which we could see from our Redneck Castle, what is called the Redneck Castle slash sanitarium now. We ha- we bu- we built our set as uh, money and time allowed us. And... Uh, I told Annabelle several times as far back as over 20 years ago, I said, honey, I think we've got something going here. And we did.
0: Harley still accepts visitors and plays when he feels like it. But the music has maybe been a touch softer since cancer took Annabelle in 2014.
1: Uh, Annabelle is probably the most talented individual that I've ever known. She played guitar uh, she was a very uh, skillful woman and very, very uh, patient and very, very, very well enlightened. She passed away, and my mother was like uh, that. That was three and a half years. Then my mother was like ninety. So during the winter, I went to Oklahoma City and stayed with her, and she passed away last year. And last year was my first. Uh, wanted to spend it at home in 10 years uh it can be very very laborsome
0: and i guess if you were to have a conversation with annabelle today if you could have a conversation I'll with her today,
1: for sure talking. i would be speechless uh, i'm usually not speechless but if she were here today uh, i wouldn't be able to tell her how much i miss her it would be unexplainable because she did so many things that you cannot even
0: comprehend. And I I, I didn't do a whole lot of anything. That night, I find an old interview Harley shot in 2009. In it, he says, If something were to happen to Annabelle, I probably wouldn't do much singing or playing. She's someone I would not be interested in living my life without. Even without having heard this, Right now, there are a lot of questions I want to ask him. What keeps you going? What advice do you have for others who are facing grief? But at this very moment, we're suddenly interrupted by some new arrivals at his door.
1: Uh, That was an old fart and his wife that looked like she was about 150 pounds overweight. Okay. Uh, I don't want to be around them, do you? Hell No. (laughs)
0: Uh, see, thank God, I, I, I can put a lock on my door. With that, the mood has shifted, he's back in jokester form, and I choose not to dwell on absence. He tells me about his meditation practice and offers suggestions for coping with what he calls psychic vampires. Yet eventually, I have to ask him the obvious. But what, hap- but what happens to all of this when you're gone? Uh, that's a good question. I have no idea.
1: Uh, what I, uh, uh, hope to be able to do is turn it over to someone that wants to keep it going and, uh, continue the legacy that me and my wife, uh, strived and worked so hard and put out our blood, sweat, and tears for, for so many years to become uh, what it has become and to not continue, uh, would be a sad thing. But what, what is this place without you, Harley? Uh, I'll tell you for sure, without me, you don't have jack shit in Eric, Oklahoma, except the memory of uh, Roger Miller growing up here and
0: being from here and Chev Woolley, and that amounts to dick shit. Some things in life are irreplaceable. Harley and his Sandhills curiosity shop just happened to be one of those things. And I'm grateful he decided it was okay to unlock his door for me. Having spent an hour and a half together, I still can't say I know him well, nor have I caught much insight regarding what makes him tick. What I do know is that it would be a gross mistake and terrible underestimation to write him off as a crazy. He's a man who marches to his own beat and has figured out how to make things work on his own terms. I also think he's a bit more hippie than redneck, but then again, title shouldn't define him, period. Wary of being on the road after dark, I think of his time, empty my wallet of cash, and drop it in his jar. But before leaving, he treats me to one final performance.
1: Well, my goodness sakes, I can't believe what's going on in here today. We've got this dadgum wild man, Ethan, out here. He's doing postcards of crazy wild places, and today he happens to be in the redneck capital of the world. He's coming out of New York, and he's asked me to do a thing called Route 66. So I'm going to do just a little laid-back version of Get Your Kicks on 66. If you ever plan... Motor West Travel my way Take the highway It's the best Get your kicks On Route 66 With one From Chicago to L.A. More than 2,000 miles All the way Get your kicks On Route 66 Will you go through St. Louis, Joplin, Missouri, and Oklahoma City? She's mighty pretty. You'll see Amarillo, gallop through Mexico, Flagstaff, Arizona. Don't forget Willona, Diamond Barstow, San Bernardino. Won't you get here to this tiny trip when you make your California trip? Get your kicks. On Route 66 Get your kicks On Route 66 Get your kicks On Route 66 Ah. Ah. Just with a dirty man, Abbott, and the redneck capital of the world sticks and stick, big bricks on 66ha
0: I think we can all use a quick break after Harley wrestle, but really and truly thank God for people like him who enliven our world through music and one show I've fallen in love with that explores how music shapes cities and reveals stories about places is sound of our town. Brought to you from the guys behind Disgraceland. Sound of Our Town is hosted by award-winning indie musician Will Daly and is born out of his mission to reaffirm how important live music is to our culture. In each episode, Will takes us from the boardwalks of Asbury Park to the biggest and smallest stages of L.A., while introducing us to historic venues and secret spots through tales that speak to the nomadic traveler in all of us. It's true that every town has a story and a soundtrack, and urge you to listen to Sound of Our Town on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now let's get back to the show.
2: I'm I'm fine. I thank the good Lord every day. I'm eighty five. I still can I still can work and get around and do things, you know, and I thank the good Lord. Worst thing that has happened, I lost my wife about three or four years ago. We'd been married sixty years and that, that hurts you worse than anything but you just learn to live with these things they're just another thorn in our side like harley russell brantley baird is a widower but that's where most if any similarities end well just be busy you can't sit around that house you'll go crazy i got i come to the ranch every day that is my advice to anybody you cannot sit in that house and watch tv and do nothing you'll go plumb crazy you got to get your butt out and get find something you like to do. That, that's the only advice I could give anybody. Busyness is a virtue that's ingrained in Mr.
0: Baird, a tall, tanned rancher whose truck, jeans, and felt pinch-front hat are all faded and caked with dirt. He still rises before dawn each morning to tend his cattle and five thousand acres of northern Arizona land. And when he tells me of why his family settled here. I realize I'm speaking
2: with a man who was a true product of the Old West. We came here in 48. We come off a ranch up by Sholo. And uh, my brother and I, I was five and he was seven. We rode a horse five miles bareback into Shumway and went to school in an old brick schoolhouse. And back then we had a lot more snow and weather than we do now. We couldn't get to school in the wintertime so we ended up down here on this old ranch. We're about another thousand feet lower, and so it was it was a little easier to get to school here. So that's the reason we ended up here, and that was in the 40s, about 48.
0: He now calls this land Rock Art Ranch, and I find it by detouring off 66 on a bumpy gravel back road outside Winslow. Considering I was driving my dad's 2012 Lexus, it may very well be a miracle I made it there and back without popping an axle. That said, the journey was a risk well worth taking, as Mr. Baird's property, which he and his granddaughter opened to visitors by reservation, ranks amongst the most unique sites I visited in any of my travels.
2: But our Indian artifacts, we've had people here from the Heard Museum, Smithsonian Institute, from all over the world, we've got as good a uh, a good uh, uh, artifact di- display as you'll see anywhere in the United States. Uh, we're
0: standing in a gallery space Mr. Baird built in a barn, and he's showing me a display of antiquities that rival any museum collection I've seen. They're clay pots, spoons, pipes, and vases, all pristinely decorated with animals, geometric patterns, and occasional human faces. These centuries-old objects were found here, many by Baird himself. But they're only a taste of the treasures that Rock Art Ranch offers. And after introductions, I follow Mr. Baird to a ridge where ceramic shards litter the ground surrounding a shed protecting the remains of an Anastasi Pueblo.
2: But you can always tell, like I said, where they live just by, just by, the, by the broken piece of pottery and the old, the old monos the matats, and stuff. This is where they lived. They figure three families lived here. There's probably several of these on this ridge. He informs me archaeologists
0: estimate this settlement dates to the 1500s. But while impressive, these ruins only represent a fraction of the ranch's history, as indications suggest nomadic hunters, gatherers, and farmers have marked this terrain for over 9,000 years.
2: We have it on the National Register of Historical Places, and... Uh, They claim some of the petroglyphs in the canyon are 7,500 to 6,000 B.C. That's like 9,500 years ago, them people were in this country. But this is just some of the petroglyphs. I think they claim 3,000 petroglyphs in the canyon is what they claim. Who knows?
0: Amidst the ranch's tumbleweeds and brush sits a canyon whose deep crevice reveals a welcoming oasis. Mr. Baird points me towards a set of stairs and... After walking down, I'm greeted by green bushes, wildflowers, and a crystal clear spring. I roll up my sleeve, splash my face with water, then look up to realize I'm surrounded by rock carvings, buffalo, lizards, even the scene of a woman giving birth. Everywhere I glance, I see more and catch myself saying, wow, out loud. Though Mr. Baird says this is a sight he took for granted growing up.
2: Well, I was just a kid, 11 years old. Hell, we with skinny dipping over there in the canyon. We wasn't worrying about no no lifts. I knew they were there, we knew they were there, but we didn't know anything about them. Indeed, while Mr. Baird has come to appreciate this art, he still strikes me as a
0: man who's rarely fazed by much.
2: I did lose one eye over here when I, I saw on a board and... I did, it hit a staple, and that staple went right through my eye. I pulled the dang thing out and looked at it, and I shouldn't have done. But but your eyes is, is, is funny. You have no pain. There's no nerves. You don't know. I rode out of Holbrook the next day, and I got down there off the rim, and I got thinking it ain't getting no better, so I better go to the doctor. And and I, I never, never did get my eyesight back. I went through four operations, but that's okay. I still have one good one, but uh, my health's good, and I've got a lot to be thankful for. But while Brantley might only have
0: partial vision, I'd wager he still sees better than most men. As far as I can tell, he's never sought to make a quick buck off of any of the art he's found, and have to convince him it's okay to accept my $35 admission. Walking through the canyon, taking in the paintings, birds, and lapping brook, I feel this should be a UNESCO World Heritage Site, and ask, why isn't this a park? Then I realize, if that were the case, I'd be fighting with mobs for a chance at entry, and likely wouldn't be allowed inside here at all. Instead, I have the sacred joy of experiencing this on my own, and... While I'm usually one to worry about preservation, trust the Baird family are appropriate caretakers.
2: My granddaughter right now is taking it. Hopefully she'll have some children. And through the years, our grandchildren and great-grandchildren will keep this thing going. That's what our hope is for the future of this place. A lot of people say, well, do you own this place? And I tell them right off the bat, no. The good Lord owns it. I'm here to take care of it and as long as i'm around taking care of it i'm happy i love the place it's it's man hadn't got in here and screwed everything up yet but no it's a it's a a beautiful place and we want to keep it that way for our kids our grandkids great grandkids that's what it's all about it's not mine it's ours that's what i tell the people this is ours having spent the morning together
0: Mr. Baird leaves me at the canyon and tells me to take as much time as I like, just to close the gate on my way out and give him a call to let him know I'm safe and done. I thank him for his time and generosity, and before leaving, ask if he has anything else he'd like to share. At this, he just looks around, gives me a smile, and tells me why he loves calling this place home.
2: No, oh, it's just a way of life, I'll tell you. It's a peaceful, quiet way of life. But no, our way of life here, our closest neighbor, is 17 miles. And just to finish it off, I'll tell you that some days is too close.
0: But while Mr. Baird thrives in Arizona's wide open spaces, Scott Piotrowski, who heads California's Route 66 Association, tells me he draws constant energy from L.A.'s diversity and activity.
3: You, you can't get any farther and you don't get any more beautiful than where we are. And I say that and know that some people don't like big crowded places and some people don't like the, the dirt and the grit of a big city. And that's fine. But I mean, I, I, I could just keep going on and I do frequently just keep going on about this city. So
0: we're talking on Figueroa, Where you'll still find a few 66 shields amidst the bus stops and traffic along this bustling north-south boulevard. Scott loves this neighborhood for its history, but while there's much to see around here, he seems especially excited to point out a 22-foot tall fiberglass statue on top of a building across the street.
3: Chicken Boy is the westernmost of the old muffler men. So he was originally on a chicken restaurant in downtown LA on Broadway, a couple of blocks away from the original terminus of Route 66. What makes him interesting is he's the first one that they broke the mold on. So originally all the muffler men were, you know, they were designed to hold the muffler in their hands and they had the the same head and everything. Well, for this one, they put a new head on. It was the head of a chicken. And they turned his hands so that instead of holding a muffler, now he had his hands together and, and was holding a bucket of chicken. So I don't want to get into the idea of a chicken boy eating chicken, but that's what we have for the for the chicken boy. He's become the Statue of Liberty of Los Angeles.
0: The reason chicken boy has lived to achieve this title is because of Amy Inouye, whose building he stands atop. A short Japanese-American book designer with a pixie cut and enthusiastic smile, she welcomes me inside and tells me about how she gravitated towards Chicken Boy as a newly arrived Angelina.
4: I moved here, you know, very quickly, and I was by myself, and I would just kind of get up every morning and drive around. So I'm driving around, and I see this statue, and he kind of made me feel at home. That is the, the best description that I can give you, um, in, up in the Bay Area, there were a couple of similar things like that and they always made me feel calm, <laughs> good, you know, gave me a warm and fuzzy. So I kind of related to him. I think he's just weird enough to identify with. Actually in somebody uh, at one of the events that we had um, said to me in a very offhanded way, we are all chicken boy. And, you know, that kind of that kind of hit me in the right place, right? So I think that's kind of it. He's outsider. We all feel like we're outsiders. He's just trying to blend in. More like, like all of us, right?
0: Feeling protective of this fellow outsider, Amy began calling the restaurant when she learned they'd be closing.
4: So I'd been kind of bugging them. Uh, I bugged them just about what was going to happen to the statue because I didn't want them to dismantle him, throw him away or whatever. I felt like somebody, not me, I really didn't think I was gonna do it. Somebody needed to save him. And I was hoping they would do it, you know? So um, I was calling them all the time. Just, hey, how you doing? What's happening? Okay, so one day I called them and they said, listen, uh, come and get him. So. So we jumped on that conveyor belt and we just decided we were going to have fun with it. And uh, we managed to talk all these people into helping us, and we went and got him. Getting him wasn't
0: easy, as his scale required Amy to rent a crane and assemble a team to assist in removing him at night, shortly before the building's demolition.
4: We didn't know what we were going to do with him. We also didn't know quite how big he was. Uh, We wanted to give Chicken Boy to a sculpture garden, museum, or whatever. Nobody was taking us up on it, so it became clear that we were going to have to put him up then. Uh, So we moved into this building when the neighborhood was quite different and decided we're going to just take care of this ourselves, you know. So put him up on the building. That was about mm, 12, 13 years ago now, and he people accepted him right away.
0: In the years since then, Chicken Boy has reached iconic status. But while he's become a destination for Instagrammers and dedicated 66 roadies, few have heard of Future Studio, which is the art space Amy keeps at street level. A gallery that doubles as her work-in area. During normal times, she hosts installations, performances, and community events. What's more, she keeps a nook dedicated to Chicken Boy paraphernalia, and other fun items that might just be the best little gift shop on Route 66.
4: Here's the Chicken Boy shop. It's little, you know, but I don't have a lot, but I try and keep it fun. So mugs, of course, little statue. Um, This is the newest thing, Chicken Boy Tiki mug, very limited edition. And here's our latest. Art vending
0: machines. So, (laughs) please explain.
4: Okay, who doesn't love a vending machine, right? So, um, okay, I bought this vending machine um, from a neighbor, meaning that everything that I put in it, I figured had to be $3 or less. That's okay. So everything in this one is $3 or less.
0: I've never heard of an art vending machine before, but if you ask me... Getting a small painting or piece of craft is way cooler than a candy bar or bag of chips. And I think this simple idea says a lot about Amy and this space, which she tells me is meant to be accessible.
4: I want to be a little funky souvenir shop, art gallery that show that is very affordable, but also where you could just, come. I don't want stalkers now, you know, but, but where people could just drop in and hang out. I'll make them, a, you know, give them a water, make them a cup of coffee, and <laughs> we can sit and visit a while. Well, you know, really just say hi. I, I think of, um, sometimes I think of um, these two brothers, I don't know where they lived, but when they, when they got older, they would sit on their porch and just wave at people. That's, that's kind of what I want to do. <laughs> that's, that's what I That's what I kind of, the feeling that I want to give. You know, we don't need deep conversations, really. Just say hi.
0: (laughs) The actor Dan Stevens once said, A British porch is a musty, forbidding non-room, a guard against the elements and strangers. By contrast, the good old American front porch seems to stand for positivity and openness. A platform from which to welcome or wave farewell. A place where things of significance can happen. I'm not sure I see Harley Russell, Brantley Baird, and Amy Anouye sharing the same porch anytime soon. But I know they could. Because the welcome mats they keep aren't for mere decoration. I may never see any of them again, and they've probably already forgotten me. But I've since revisited them all in my memories many times over. And that, well, that's significant. Thanks to Amy Anouye, Scott Piotrowski, Brantley Baird, and the incomparable Harley Russell for all making this episode happen. These are all people and places worth visiting, and where possible, we'll include links to their info in the show notes. On another note, I recently had the great honor of appearing on a podcast with another Harley and his pal Brett called The Only in Oklahoma Show, and recommend you check it out as a companion if you plan on visiting or just curious to learn more about the Sooner State. They're down to earth, filled with great stories and info, and you can find The Only in Oklahoma Show wherever you get your podcasts. I also thank you for listening. If you found this episode engaging and haven't already, please follow us on your favorite podcast app. It helps us grow, and doing that guarantees you will never miss any content. Also, if you know someone in your life who might enjoy what we're up to, it would mean a great deal if you could just take a second to text them and share this episode. For photos and more, please find us on Instagram or vanishingpostcards.com, where you're always welcome to reach out. I'm Evan Stern, and hope you'll join us next time for more Vanishing Postcards. Mm-mm.